0: Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess Mackintosh, and I'm here with Jelena Maxwell, and we are joined right now by the President and CEO of National Women's Law Center, Fatima Ghost Graves. Fatima, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi, good to be with you guys.
1: So, first question is: As you assess, um, you know, the confirmation vote um, and the committee vote that is going to take place today, I mean, what are sort of the top top takeaways? Um, of the confirmation hearings and you know what we are going to see in terms of the republican support um for her whether it, i mean obviously we were talking about how the no republicans on the committee are planning to vote for her but how do you see the larger caucus how many votes do you think she may get from the other side of the aisle
2: yeah and so i'm i'm talking to you right before i go to watch that committee vote so i I really felt a need to be there after the ridiculousness of of the hearings. Look, Judge Jackson really deserves most of the votes, right? Most of the Republican caucus and, and all of the Democrats. That's what she deserved because... She really demonstrated in her, in her hearings that she is the right person for this seat. She is so qualified, she has the right temperament. Her depth and breadth of knowledge was so fully on display. This could have been a moment to really unify the country for everyone to be proud that we are even in this point in our nation's history. And instead they there are some who just decided to make it a ridiculous show, it's unfortunate.
0: How many, I, I mean, are you surprised that there are, which surprises you, both how, how bad it was, how how polarized it was, how absurd the Republican behavior was, especially considering that most of them voted to confirm her just last year to the second highest court? Mm-hmm. Um, or are you surprised that she might actually walk away with three Republican votes in the Senate?
2: Well, you have to remember that Judge Jackson has been confirmed three times in the Senate, and this is her fourth time appearing before that same committee. So just last summer, she got Lindsey Graham's vote. Just last summer, she got the votes of Senators Murkowski and Collins. And so Senator Collins has come out and said that she's going to support Judge Jackson, which I I thought it was important that she came out before this committee vote because that's. said an important signal, but the truth is, you know, I mean, she voted for her last summer (laughs) as did the other two. And so I, I actually think what should be a little bit surprising to me is how absurd Lindsey Graham was in this hearing as if he had never met this person before, even though he had just voted to confirm her last summer.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it feels like they didn't see they didn't have any real valid reasons um, to oppose this nomination. That's sort of how I felt going into it. Um, and yeah. as you said, they just voted for her last year. So if they had any of these like really big objections, they probably would have mentioned it previously just 12 months ago. Um, mm-hmm. And so instead, what they chose to do is come up with completely preposterous reasons to object to her nomination. And they leaned into it. They made a choice to lean into it. I mean... What, what, how should we remember the performance yeah. of the Republicans at the confirmation hearings? I mean the word massage noir" is one that people are more, more people are becoming familiar with what this term means mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how it applies to what we watch. but in hindsight, uh, do you feel like people got a really good education and how black women uniquely experience sexism and racism and how it
2: looks um, from from the hearings that we all watched? Yeah, I don't think people have to know and understand in terms like misogynoir to understand that there is a particular history uh, in terms of how Black women experience uh, experience our political system in this country, and that was on full display. I, I think two things happened that um, I understood what happened to a degree, but I think I even I was surprised. At the level, Um, the first is that they went into the hearing knowing that they could. Some people went into the hearing knowing that they could score points uh, with their base by basically beating up on a black woman in this uh, in this setting, and that there would be some folks who liked that, who Mm -hmm. liked. Uh, that sort of attacking justified or not. and So there were some folks who I think went in with that perspective. But the second thing that surprised me and that I'm still sort of sitting with is that this sort of qanon as conspiracy Found its way so squarely inside of yeah. the hearing room, and was lifted up not just by Senator Holly, who he had tweeted in advance of the hearing, so we kind of understood the direction he would go. But but the fact that he wasn't by himself—that's the sort of thing that should yeah. be isolated and discouraged and dismissed as embarrassing. Well,
0: and and they didn't they didn't just per, like they pursued that line of questioning. At the expense of future nominees, which I think was the the issue that uh, it wasn't just Demo- it wasn't just Democratic senators. Mitt Romney raised it. The National Review raised it. That if if we're going to to start saying that anytime a judge passes a sentence that is outside of the guidelines, that sentence is then on like that is something that could come up in a future nomination hearing we're going to have judges that are really averse to ever using their own discretion in sentencing because they know that they might be attacked for it if they are ever nominated to a higher court. Are, are you concerned about that precedent being set or are we looking at it saying, nope, this is a thing that's only going to happen to black women nominees? Um, so it's a mess.
2: The The incentives would be all wrong for, for judges uh, who ever, believe they should have another role in life you don't want those sort of incentives there but it also is a total misunderstanding around how the sentencing guidelines work which they know and so it it is a distortion of the guidelines so those are the wrong incentives i do have to say i i do think it's possible that there will be a double standard a double standard for black women nominees in in part because they went into uh, the hearing with certain efforts to paint a portrait of her to, that didn't really match her record, but that didn't matter because they were trying to paint her as soft on crime.
1: Yeah,
2: It doesn't matter what her record is. Mm-hmm.
1: I felt like, the, the, I mean, by painting her as soft on crime and particularly sort of in the most grotesque way possible, right? That it, it was almost like a darker and more sinister thing, right? Because she's a Black woman and it, I think it's important to think of it as the flip side of the coin of what they did at the confirmations for Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Because what they did was they let they lean into this idea of like the purity of like white womanhood and motherhood being performed by white women. And then the flip side of that with Judge Jackson was she's actually soft on criminals that are exploiting children. Right. So it was like because black motherhood has never been respected and sort of cherished in the same way in our in our society um black women have been demonized um historically um and so i think like it was it was that sort of it was the manifestation of that dynamic that we actually don't talk enough about perhaps um do you feel like in terms of her performance in response to that that she was able to break through because of her unique ability to be genuine and authentic and and also have a, an amazing memory of everything she's ever said or written for the past 35 years verbatim which I was very impressed by Shocked specifically
2: <laughs> yeah you forget the task ahead that they they are in all these efforts to sort of have a gotcha moment that she really does have to remind herself of the papers she wrote in law school and you know what was her college thesis about you know you have to go back
0: really really a long ways she told him to read the sentence after the sentence he quoted she knew what (laughs) not just the sentence he was quoting but what was going to come next that would undermine what he was trying to say she said i mean whoo boy which was
2: One of my favorite moments of the hearing because he was obviously so prepared and, and, you know, he wasn't, but I, so listen, I, the thing that was one of my other parts of the hearing where I just had so much pride for Judge Jackson and respect for her was when she very plainly said, listen, I am a judge. I'm also a mother and I am someone who, you know, in it, it, what she didn't say, she, it's kind of like, she's also a human. They were trying to make her yeah. not. Mm. And and she reasserted herself in that way and reminded, she's not just a mother, her, her children were sitting behind her and mm. had to watch that smearing and mischaracterization of not just her record, they were really trying to go at her personally to say she's a liar and, that, and to imply um, all of this, you know, really absurd stuff, It 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 is hard to not take that personally. And through it all, her poise, her calm, her evenness and steadiness. Um, I, I actually think one of the reasons you had so many people around the country cheering for her, but black women in particular cheering is, it brought so many of us back to moments where we just had to be still. Mm. We were all Katanji Brown Jackson in that moment. Mm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I mean, I feel like so I was saying during during the hearings, um, you know, like I used the word triggered, but it was like, you know, during Kavanaugh, I was triggered, too. But it was a completely different type of triggering. Right. Um, And during Judge Jackson, it was like, oh, this feels so familiar. I know what's happening here. I understand there. I understand what they're doing. And I understand her reaction. I understand her body language. I understand that smile. I do that smile. That's a smile. That's my face. Oh my God, this is what I do. Um, And so I think that was a lot. So many women I talked to, so many black women I talked to during the hearings have that same reaction. I mean, do you think that in terms of maybe even people who are not black women understanding the experience, they could, they could at least see how we have to hold it in and how that hurts. I mean, because holding it in and maintaining that smile, there are not no consequences of, you know, right. doing that. Holding it in and maintaining that smile gives you high rates of high blood pressure, stroke, heart disease, um, you know, and, and and a lot of, um, you know, mental health issues um, and anxiety. Um, th- there are real consequences. And so do you feel like people get that now? Do they see that? Do they see? Did they get it when she... You know, had a, an emotional moment, and Cory Booker allowed her to sort of release some of that anxiety and and pent up black womanness.
2: <laughs> I, you know, I do think it, it's going to take some work to remind and explain people exactly what they saw, to put it in mm. context beyond this one woman and this one hearing. Uh, but I do think it's worth having the conversation that you just named about what is the cost of Black women's stillness? Hmm. What, you know, you you named all the health costs and the mental health costs. Um, I actually think there's probably what I've been thinking about as an ambition cost. Hmm. How many people watch that hearing and thought, I never want that. I never want to go through that. I'm not yeah. going to sit in that seat. Uh, or any seat where people get to treat me this way. And and so I think we have to have uh, the after-event analysis (laughs) of what did we see? What did this mean for all of us? What did this mean for this country? I want to make sure we celebrate, but we also need to have some reflection and accountability on what happened.
0: in terms of going forward, I mean the, the the confirmation of Judge Jackson doesn't change the makeup of the court, and we have seen other justices in the headlines recently who um, maybe maybe have some conflicts of interest that um, should have them recuse uh, or or resign. Um, what is your thought on how we fix the courts? Like the fact that I can sit here and name four justices that have reasonable, um, like they, they shouldn't have been nominated to begin with, or they shouldn't have been confirmed or now they are behaving in such a way that means they should not stay on the court. Like we can talk about four whole justices that way. What, what if anything, do you think is the solution to, to fixing how rigged the Supreme Court is right now? You know, this, it's interesting, during her nomination hearing that the,
2: several of the Republican senators kept asking her about her views on yeah. court reform. And she's the wrong person to ask. Of course. Yes. The Supreme Court won't be reforming itself. Now, you know, there are some things that the Supreme Court might take up in terms of ethics, but the truth of the matter is this is a question This is a political question for Congress. And one of the things that should worry all of us is that there is less and less confidence in the Supreme Court. And and when the Supreme Court, when people believe the Supreme Court has put on a political robe, they don't trust it as much. And so some of that has been our confirmation processes um, the, what happened with the Merrick Garland nomination, what happened with uh, uh, Justice Coney Barrett, w- the fact that she was confirmed during the middle of an election w- when we had the example of not giving g- uh, Attorney General Garland even a hearing. Um, and then of course there is the, the nomination of Justice Kavanaugh where The FBI never did the investigation that everyone was promised. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so people are, you know, is both the nomination process, but it is also some of the steps the Supreme Court itself has taken in the last year, in particular, the use of the shadow docket, the sort of casual threats of overturning Roe, allowing SB8 to go into effect as if it didn't matter. I, you know, people are wondering what is going on that is destabilizing for any democracy for confidence in the court to wane. And Justice Sotomayor has, has named this in her opinions, mm-hmm. has named her worry about this in her opinions. I think it would be really uh, unfortunate for us all to ignore that.
1: It's such an important point, and I mean, I thought that it was quite interesting that they were asking her, the wrong person, about the court reform piece, and that's actually there are, you know, many of Republicans have come out and said that's the reason they're voting against her is because of the court packing issue. I mean, when when we think about the fact that like, one, she didn't articulate any of the views that they're in opposition to, right? Like, she doesn't like, she's like, that's not even a question for me, so like, why are you not voting for me because of What a Mm -hmm. progressive group that doesn't have anything to do with Judge Jackson wants to do with the Supreme Court. And then they also ignore the fact, I mean, I I feel like they ignored the fact on purpose that the the Supreme Court and many of the conservative justices were put there because of, um, you know, the conservative uh, group, the Federalist Society and their lists and, you know, um, the movement that was working since Roe v. Wade to reshape the court. I mean, how do we sort of push the narrative about the court? I think people fundamentally understand that there are political actors on the court, right? Like, I don't want it to be perceived as as a political institution. That's not what the founders wanted. But there are political actors on the court. It's just that they're they It's not the progressives on the court, though. But that's not the Republican argument. They flip it and they project it out. Um, how do we push the conversation to the place where it actually is, like accurately is, which is like Claren- Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas. Um, I mean, I, I I don't I don't know what he was doing during all of the months leading into the interaction, but I do now know what his wife was doing because of mm-hmm. text messages. So there are there are political stakes um, and actions being taken. By this court that impact the lives of people how do we push the conversation so that we're talking about that because it's not the progressives that are you know
2: yeah activist I, judges so there is a lot of work to do to help people understand the state of the courts and the types of things uh that have happened <laughs> i don't think it has so the question around why progressives don't know about it as much i i think i think we haven't done a maybe a good of a job of of explaining what is happening and also I think exactly what you saw in the hearing that you saw several Republican senators sort of seize on the message and paint, uh, the nominee is nefarious and that is sort of shut down a conversation when the truth is there are really important conversations to have about the Supreme Court and the courts generally, whether it is around ethics whether it's around things like the shadow docket or how it is that very committee confirms people, which many of us have raised a lot of concerns about after the Kavanaugh nomination. So there is work to do. The challenge, I think, is that much of that work involves the Senate doing that work.
0: And they're going
2: to have to hear from people that this is a thing that's important to
0: them. This is where we get into the call your legislator conversation, because yeah. <laughs> like, I know it's, it's true because I feel like the other side has been so conditioned to be energized around the courts because they understand that they don't have the popular opinion and the court is supposed to legislate democratically like they would not legislate, but the court is supposed to rule democratically. The court is supposed to represent the people that it, you know, that it works for. They know that they don't have the popular vote, so they know that the court is one of the best ways to ensure that their agenda can last longer than their "we don't win the popular vote" presidencies, like yeah. they get it, and our side simply doesn't. We're we're much more focused on the immediate, probably because there are so many intersecting crises right now. I'm not saying it's our fault for being focused on what's happening today, um, but do you think that that changes if the court does what we expect it to do um, and and you know overturns or or thoroughly guts Roe v. Wade?
2: You know, right now, the vast majority of people think the court will not overturn Ray, Roe versus Wade, and I think the reason people don't believe that is they have such confidence in our court. And I think confidence will be shaken dramatically. Yeah. I think people will wonder how is it possible that for the first time in our history you can have a a taking away of a constitutional right. We've been a country that in terms of our understanding of the constitution, it has expanded rights over time. We haven't had a situation where multiple generations of people have grown up understanding that they had a right secured that flowed from the constitution. Whether you were a lawyer or not, people know the word row. And um, and the idea that that could go away, uh, and and so quickly, I think will wake a lot of people up to mm-hmm. what is happening right now.
1: No, I th- I mean un- it's unfortunate that it had to get to this point. I think many people who have been working in this space going back to, you know, twenty ten, have been warning of exactly this, and specifically when I am thinking of like. Um, journalists like Dahlia listwick who going back to like 2008 had been like hey guys the federal courts are a big problem <laughs> um <laughs> uh, there are some cases moving their ways through where they're really really um you know going at this specific strategy um at first which was to sort of tinker around the edges of roe and make it in make abortion inaccessible as opposed to you know criminalized um or um you know not something that is permissible uh which had been for the past half a century um but i also think that now the more direct shot they're taking at at our constitutional rights um to have the ability to decide what we do with our bodies is going to have a i think there's going to be a backlash i mean do you think that it's hard to know um you can't it's hard to predict these things um but i just feel like they're the the younger generation, the ones that are out mm-hmm. marching for climate, I really don't feel like they have the patience to have to fight for also their bodily autonomy as well. Even though, it, <laughs> I mean, I would say that that's, those two things are connected, but I feel like, you know, they're already mad, so, like, making them matter doesn't feel like a good strategy to do if you, you know, didn't want, um, you know, a, a bunch of angry people voting voting you out um, for, for yeah. doing things like this, but... Do you feel like there is going to be a, a backlash from that younger generation that's already really engaged? I mean, they're engaged on guns. They're engaged on climate.
2: Here's another Here's another big issue. Yeah, I think a storm will come. I think they will be galvanized in ways we haven't seen. And I think I agree with you. I think they're like, why should I have to fight for this? This, <laughs> this is something that right. should be secure. What is going on? The young folks I've talked to and uh, about it uh, actually have said just that they actually, what they want to be fighting for is something bolder for the future. They, you know, they're they're having very different types of conversation around reproductive freedom and justice. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait, now I have, we have to... I just to secure a basic right they think that we're beyond that and they're not wrong we should be beyond that yeah
0: yes we should we should not be talking about defense all of the time we should be talking about making progress um but it's really hard when one side just keeps kicking dirt down the, down the hill fed <laughs> graves Thank you so much for um, helping us unpack all of this and and putting it as as well and as clearly as, yeah. as you did. Um, you guys do incredible work at the National Women's Law Center. We absolutely love that you exist. I don't know what we would do without you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so Anytime. much. Anytime. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast.
1: Thanks for listening.